Russia has announced yet another ceasefire, but it's really hard to trust Russia and what they say because we have seen them announce uh, ceasefires over the weekend and then civilians packing their stuff, thinking they've reached an agreement, getting ready to leave their towns heading west and them actually being struck by artillery strikes or uh shelling it's absolutely appalling there were images of of uh, hundreds of people just crowded underneath a bridge they've already left their house and they're thinking now we're stuck under the cover of this bridge we we can't leave because this ceasefire was an absolute joke so who knows if this ceasefire is actually um authentic and real and going to last but apparently a handful of humanitarian corridors will be open to allow civilians to flee ukraine uh, starting today, over the weekend, I was thinking about, you know, looking at the images of the average uh, Ukrainian or uh, Ukrainian that's become a soldier over the past two weeks, um, lighting and getting ready to toss Molotov cocktails. And I thought to myself, that must be absolutely horrifying. Like if something goes wrong, that is so close to your head as you go to chuck that thing. It's it's such a brave thing to do. And I then I started to think about the etymology of the Molotov cocktail. And so I went down that rabbit hole. It's really interesting. The Molotov cocktail was coined by the Finns during the Winter War. And this was back in the 30s. The uh, name was a pejorative reference to the Soviet foreign minister at the time, whose last name was Molotov. And it came from propaganda that he was producing, mainly his declaration on Soviet radio that the bombing missions over Finland were actually airborne humanitarian food deliveries for their starving neighbors. Where have we heard that before? We're seeing that play out right now. Uh, Russian soldiers going in saying to their people back in Russia, oh, no, it's a humanitarian effort. We're, we're giving them food. We're giving them things. As a result, the Finns sarcastically dubbed the Soviet cluster bombs Molotov bread baskets in reference to Molotov's propaganda broadcasts. And when the handheld bottle firebomb was developed to attack and destroy Soviet tanks, the Finns called it the Molotov cocktail as a drink to go with his food parcels. Interesting stuff. Reading in the National Post over the weekend, a lot of different uh, experts weighing in on how long this war could go on. There are many scenarios that could play out. It could be protracted. Uh, We could see negotiations occur soon. And we could see... Putin being ousted or worse. Here to talk about it, Danny Bello, Assistant Professor of the International Relations at Webster University in, in St. Louis, Missouri, also a fellow Canadian at Carleton's University, Norman Patterson School of International Affairs. Good to have you on, Danny. Morning. You had a lot of really interesting things to say when it comes to this uh, article I was talking about in the National Post, so that's why I wanted to reach out to you. In your opinion, is there a quick end to this war? Um, the first step uh, that the um, parties, uh, meaning the, the Ukrainian delegation and the Russian delegation, tried to um, put together is um, about the humanitarian catastrophe. So finding some sort of solution, and uh, as you mentioned earlier in, in the program, um, corridors, humanitarian corridors, um, but in terms of the larger solution and final resolution to the conflict, uh, we're still quite far away from that. But we really haven't seen these humanitarian uh, corridors being opened because we're seeing uh, evidence of of Russians shelling people trying to leave. Certainly, it is uh, a challenge um, to put together in practice a humanitarian corridor when 
uh, the civilians who are evacuating are being bombed. And um, even though uh, the humanitarian corridor solution has failed thus far, um, I hope we can be optimistic that the parties will come together and see the value of uh, securing these corridors. Okay. So, I mean, everybody hopes for that because that is, that's the right thing to do. But in your opinion, how long could this war go on? What we're seeing right now is uh, certainly um, Russia uh, being bogged down in this war for longer than it anticipated. Um, looking at the documents emerging from the Russian Ministry of Defense, um, there's an indication that they hoped that this war would last for two to three days at most, but certainly considering what's happening on the ground now, it's taking much longer and uh, it's much more violent than expected. Mm-hmm. So uh, are negotiations even possible right now? You know, we we know what's going on. We know that uh, the the president of Ukraine is, uh, you know, he is very much part of this battle. He's dug in. He's not sitting there uh, like Putin is in in the safety of, uh, you know, a government building. He is actually with his people. That's right. And what we're seeing is um, uh, the Ukrainians um, put it, uh, mounting a defense that uh, the Russians didn't anticipate. With regard to the diplomatic pathways, well, um, as it usually is in diplomatic negotiations around this um, type of violent conflict, uh, the first step is to uh, really understand what's happening on the ground and making sure that the humanitarian aspect uh, is addressed first. If we're talking about longer term negotiations towards conflict resolution, um, what we're seeing from the Russian perspective is that their position hasn't changed. Uh, the Kremlin went into this war with the narrative that Ukraine must be demilitarized and um, preventing Ukraine from becoming a hub for NATO forces. And that is a hard line that Russia doesn't seem to be giving up on. I was listening to uh, another one of our hosts on the weekend, the Roy Green Show. I was heading back from uh, being out of town, and uh, he had Yuri Filchinsky on. He's a Russian-American historian, and he's written several books on Putin and uh, Russia. And he said the time to stop Putin is right now. It has to be done in Ukraine because if they get Ukraine, then they'll be eyeing Moldova next and then after that, they will want the Balkan states. And that's part of NATO. And that's where NATO is going to have to come in. So, you know, waiting for uh, him to stop at Ukraine is probably not going to happen. What are your thoughts on that? We're talking about stopping Putin. We have to think about the options we have at our disposal and options um, that will not facilitate uh, the escalation of conflict to a nuclear war. Um, there are a number of ideas hovering uh, in the policy community, looking at possibly a no-fly zone. And this is something mm -hmm. that Vlad uh, Vladimir Zelensky uh, mentioned, uh, boots on the ground. Well, these options um, are likely to escalate conflict with Russia to the point of nuclear war. So we definitely do not want that. But it doesn't mean that we should abandon the pressure in terms of sanctions. Okay. Sanctions, what about weaponry? Should we not be supplying the Ukrainians with as much as they need to to keep uh, you know, holding Putin back and his forces? Well, um, what we're seeing right now is uh, weapons being supplied to Ukraine from uh, different uh, NATO member countries, including Canada. And um, the question is, is this going to be sufficient to shift the balance of power in favor of Ukraine? Well, it's unlikely to be the case. Uh, what it will do is escalate violence, but at the same time, 
uh, impose significant costs on Russia's operations. So there are many, many uh, considerations in that choice. So we're hearing that there is uh, there are talks that are you know ongoing or, or talks of talks between the Russians and uh, Ukraine. I know that our prime minister right now is in Europe. Uh, what do you think the strategy is going to be uh, at the end of the day uh, between the the G seven and you know to try and get this uh, resolved as quickly as possible? When we're talking about uh, the different approaches um, that could be taken with regard to imp- imposing sanctions on Russia, well, in the on when the conflict just uh, began, we saw the kind of unity um, that we haven't seen before since mm-hmm. uh, 2014. Uh, we've seen different approaches, but we definitely see some unity. What we're seeing over the last couple of days is a significant um, fracturing. In this unified approach that we've seen earlier on, for example, we see um, um, Germany's Chancellor Scholz saying that, well, we actually need to trade with Russia because uh, Russian energy is essential to Europe. On the other hand, we see Canada um, putting in a ban on the importation of Russian oil. So um, right now we're seeing the fracturing. The question is how do we move forward in this unified approach that mm-hmm. we started with? Because and Putin's going to try seems- and play this any way he can, right? I mean, if he sees fracturing with the ally- uh, allies, that's not great. Uh, that, that's good. That's a win for him, but that's not great for Ukraine. Uh, that seems to be the case, um, yeah. especially when we're seeing this fracturing. Uh, it means that um, Putin will be able to find cracks in this uh, tandem. Of That's interesting. Um, Danny, that's interesting. I've got to leave it at that. But it is interesting because I know our prime minister is scheduled to go to Germany as well in the coming days. It's going to be a whirlwind trip, but uh, perhaps he's going to be talking to, to Germany about their decision with Russian oil and how that's uh, not a great idea when it comes to, uh, you know, it might be good for their people, but not good when it comes to a strong G7 and allies. Danny, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day. Danny Bello is an assistant professor of international relations at Webster University in St. Louis, Missouri.